Okay, our next session is uh, focused on technology. This is going to be Dr. Watson and Dr. Perito. <laughs> all these little smarty pants. Hey, everybody. Uh-oh, they're all leaving. Come back, come back. So we'd like to get started. Uh, my name is Florence Hudson. Uh, we didn't sit exactly under our pictures, so we're going to see if you're paying attention and can tell who's who. Um, but I'm Florence Hudson, and I'm with Blockchain and Healthcare today, and also on the Northeast Big Data Innovation Hub here at Columbia University. And I'm going to let Shauna and Carlo introduce themselves since our titles aren't on there. Carlo? Hi, good afternoon. My name is Carlo Perino, and I am the Chief Nursing Officer at uh, Private Healthcare up in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, kind of done that worldwide, so that's why I'm here. Very good, and he has his doctorate in that. And Shauna? So, and I'm Shauna Hoffman. I'm with IBM, and I lead our cognitive legal practice, and I work in AI and blockchain. Excellent. Thank you very much, and thank you for all being with us. So the title of our panel today is Improving Healthcare Outcomes with Next Generation Internet, sometimes called NGI. Are any of you involved with the Horizon 2020 projects out of the European Commission? Okay, great. Oh, so that's why this is called NGI. So um, this is going to be a global perspective, and the European Commission has a, a group of projects called Horizon 2020, which, as you can imagine, is about 2020 and beyond. What do we need then? And one of the projects is called Next Generation Internet. And um, as a special advisor for the Northeast Big Data Hub here at Columbia University, I brought together 10 institutions that have actually proposed with some EU colleagues, and they won the funding, so we're going to work on some of these Next Generation Internet problems. So I was hoping we could talk about what do we need so we can make sure that we do it. And so um, first, ooh, let's make sure it's going the right. Oh, look, these are our real charts. Oh, that was tricky. So this is actually our real titles. So you can remember, and you can tell this one's really Carlo, even though he's sitting under Shauna's picture. So um, as we look at this and you say, well, what, what's our real goal here? Well, to improve healthcare outcomes. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, there are a lot of ways, a lot of clinical ways. From a data perspective, what we're looking at is the opportunity for precision medicine or precision oncology, where you're bringing together many different data types and huge data types. You know, so it could be petabytes of data, which is a lot from, you know, National Institutes of Health, National Cancer Institute. It could be clinical care data. It could be clinical research or fundamental research that's being done in 100 languages around the planet every day. And even though doctors are brilliant, they just don't have the time, even if they knew 100 different languages, to read all this stuff, ingest it, digest it, and use it to get insights to make the best clinical decisions and know how to improve healthcare outcomes. So there's an opportunity to allow you know, wide bandwidth for all this data to be shared, very low latency, and some really cool technologies that Carlo's going to talk about that we see out there. Real world evidence, which is real information, RWE, with UDIs, unique device identifiers, new acronyms, in case you don't have enough. But the idea is to gather all this data and do something useful with it. So one of the frameworks that I've been working on um, on this with IEEE, which is the Institute for Electronic Engineers, which is a, a volunteer organization of 423,000 geeks like me um, from around the planet. We've been working on this framework called TIPS, which stands for Trust, Identity, Privacy, Protection, Safety, and Security. And these are all the things that we have to think about, whether we're regulators, we're manufacturers, or we're users, to make sure that we're practicing self-safe healthcare in this connected healthcare world. 
And so IEEE has been actually documenting a lot of this, and now as I'm leading the IEEE pre-standards work on clinical IoT and data interoperability, we're creating a draft TIPS framework, a TIPS architectural framework for data interoperability, validation, and identity. So those are some of the things going on, just to give you a view of, okay, we're trying to improve healthcare outcomes. There's a lot of opportunity. There are a lot of challenges. And now we want to get a little real. Um, and Carlo, as a practitioner um, and a provider from around his experiences around the planet, is going to talk a little bit about some of the technological advances, some of the opportunities we have to improve healthcare. And then Shauna is going to talk about some of the really cool technologies that can help us. Carlo? Thanks, Tom. So before we start, I just want to kind of take a quick quiz. How many uh, healthcare providers, nurses, doctors, et cetera, in the room? Anybody? No. Administrator types? One, the rest of you all are here lost or IT people? IT? Yeah. Okay, I only got three hands out of everybody here. So, the rest of you don't know. Okay. Fair, fair. Uh, so I, I want to kind of take you into the future. Uh, and it's kind of weird in a, a system like this because I think everybody here already is living in somewhat of a futuristic state because that's why you're here. Uh, we are all looking to advance IT, healthcare, merge it together, kind of see where we're going. And there's some interesting things going out that I've seen in the world. The US right now is probably not even in the top 10 in countries as far as progressive. And, and we talked about that a little bit privately, probably because of the, the, the legal side of it, people not wanting to take risks because the way our healthcare system is set up, it's, you know, it's for profit, you're not making any money if you're spending it on things you don't get reimbursed with and things like that. But when you go overseas and you start seeing some of the, the things that they're doing, they're, they're much further advanced. And, and some of the examples are like, uh, they're, they're really, truly hospitals at home, where they're being monitored at home, being cared for at home, uh, receiving most of their treatment at home. And they come to the hospital really like life or death, ICU type care. The rest of that care is being delivered in the house, generally by family members with the help of either online people or people visiting occasionally, things like that. Another really good example is the US military. And this is only, I would say, in the last year or so that they've come out where they're, they're looking at implantable medical records in the body. And right now they're just brief. It's not like you have you know 20 years of history on you, but it's starting out with at least your blood type, uh, many significant allergies to medications and things like that. So if you are unconscious on the battlefield, they can scan and find out, hey, if you need blood, what type of blood do you need? Or if you have allergies to a certain medication, make sure I don't give those to you. So it's starting to take hold here in the States. But that lives so much promise of what can we do in the future. And again, we were talking about this just previous to this, but imagine if instead of the health records being owned by the hospitals and by the healthcare organizations where they have, you know, terabytes of information stored somewhere, that they're on the person, whether it be in a radio frequency chip, whether it be on your cell phone or somewhere, but imagine if all that health information was downloaded onto the person. You go see the doctor, and instead of them trying to send faxes back and forth to get your health information, they just have to scan your arm or wherever the, the thing is chipped, and you have the medical information you need. I'm sure those of you that are providers and you ask a patient, can you tell me about the medicines you're on? You're lucky if you can get the full names. Sometimes you'll get a dose. 
you don't know if you get the right dose. And having talked to thousands of patients in my lifetime, I can tell you that patients don't always know the names of the medications. They mix them up a lot because so many of the meds sound a lot like, and the doses are wacky. You know, they'll tell you that they're on five milligrams of something that the standard dose maybe is 500 milligrams. Or they'll tell you they've taken 500 milligrams of something the standard dose is 0.5 milligrams. So you, they're not very reliable in their health history taking. Not everybody carries around their med cards with them. Not everybody carries around their history with them. So it leads up a lot of opportunities in this field once we can get a hold of it and design a system that's going to be patient-centric as well as reducing costs for doing this and providing all the information we need. I am very curious as to everyone else in the room, so it'll be fun to do a little bit of Q&A afterwards. You know, but one of the reasons that we are starting to see so much money in R&D funds is because our world is changing drastically. Uh, this is a CEO of Novartis. Uh, last year, we spent almost $10 billion in R&D, and that number is going to continue to go up. A majority of that was on data offerings. So as we start to see the adoption of technology in the world, uh, this is a great chart. It goes back about 100 years, you know, back all the way to the 1900s. And we saw, you know, a decent slope up, you know, where most technologies were taking about 20 years um, to really get uh, full forte. And now we're starting to see almost a straight line up. So we have some major technologies that are really encompassing the world. And um, this is just, you know, it's consumer need, consumer requests, re consumer requirements. We're starting to see new graphs and charts that have come out. And this really is the new ecosystem going forward where everything is down to the individual. So we have new technologies that do help the individual become more decentralized and be able to make their own decisions. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. But as we start to look at the individual, what's the closest thing to everyone? I mean, how many people in the room have cell phones? Probably, now we're gonna get everybody's hands up? <laughs> yeah, and then how many have two, three, four? Yeah, <laughs> I run around with two, which is kind of a silly thing to do, but you know, we have our, we have our smartphones with all of our information. And so then the next, um, the next step up, of course, is cloud services. I love that we're seeing that um, really become part of everyday world. Companies that would tell us five years ago, no way we'll go to the cloud, are jumping into it and it's just because the data is growing by an extreme amount. Jumping up to the global network, and then we start to see all of those different IoT devices. Um, so the Internet of Things is growing. Right now we have about 8 billion connected devices. Now there are only about 7.7 .7 billion people in the world. So there's more connected devices than we have human beings. Now they do expect by 2020 that those connected devices will be over 23 billion. I've heard um, statistics as high as over 35 billion. And so we're starting to see connected devices everywhere, you know, including our refrigerators connecting. I've got a good friend who has an Alexa refrigerator and I'm terribly jealous of her because she always knows when she needs milk. <laughs> and I have two teenage boys and I tend to never know, which is kind of all the time. Um, so we're, we're looking at organizations and, you know, trying to figure out how do we get down to the consumer, to that individual level. And that includes, we need um, 
we need faster connection to them. So we start to see the advancements. Um, so we have now 5G coming on. And 5G, of course, is 1,000 times faster. Now with 5G, um, how many of you know how 5G runs? It, absolutely. So, um, so one of the things that we're looking at with 5G is where it's connected much closer to you. And so with this technology, you're about 30 meters away from a connected, a way to connect directly to, um, you know, to Wi-Fi, to anything that's tremendously fast. So it's going to, it's going to be, we don't have to actually connect to the towers themselves anymore. It's going to be an energy source that's near you. Uh, I know in Orlando, our Smarter Cities initiative is putting in light poles to be able to connect 5G right to as um, close as you're walking by. So it's, it's amazing to see this technology advance. And so it is going to be tremendously fast. Now, again, this is interesting. 40% of, um, of our population, they're, the, they're on the coast. They're expecting that to be up over 50% within the next five years. So we're starting to see a huge amount of billions of people um, connecting or at the coast. And so we're starting to see data centers that are being put right off of coasts and being connected directly in. So there's a lot of places that all of a sudden we've got the data coming to the people. We have speed coming to the people. And we start to see a very important new data ecosystem forming. Now, there are some tremendously important jobs going forward as we start to see data scientists being at the center of our new world. We start to see analytic, analytics um, architects. We start to see data stewards. Um, you know, and this is not even just healthcare, but it's really every organization out there and how important that is um, to make sure that they're, you know, that we have all of these different ecosystems forming together. Now, the jobs, of course, are going to be changing when we start to talk about IT. In general, I know one of the biggest questions that I always get is, you know, people are going to be losing jobs. Now, in one of the, um, one of the reports that just came out from the World Economic Forum, there are 75 million declining roles. Now, there are 133 million roles to take the 75 million's place because we need more advanced people. So you start to see the skill sets changing. And again, this is just IT-centric. You know, it has, you know, it's not specific for healthcare. It's really for everything in general. So our world is changing to, again, get down to the individual level. And um, the two most significant technologies of our time are blockchain and also artificial intelligence. And um, whoops, as we start to, we're not thinking you quite yet. <laughs> so, but um, I, it's a, I am missing a couple slides, but that is absolutely fine. Um, yeah, which is all good. So now with artificial intelligence, the four things that it does for you is it understands, it reasons, it learns alongside you and from you most importantly, but then also interacts with you. So a good example is I have a judge um, who is looking at all different types of information on each of the juveniles that comes into the courtroom. So this juvenile, he needs medical information on him. He needs also family information on, well, let's, we'll take a young man in, in general, um, family information on him. He also needs probate, you know, probation information on him. So we start to look at the holistic 
look at the individual. Now, what one of our judges in Ohio has done, Judge Capizzi, he has taken a holistic approach at the individual, and he now has all this information. He has trained Watson to read all the data that comes into the courtroom. That includes the medical records. That Again, that includes the legal records. That includes school records. Whatever he has that's been submitted to him, Watson reads it, provides him about a two to three page summary. He says now that he is able to save about five or six minutes of time in front of each of the juveniles who comes into his courtroom so he can spend more time with them, giving them advice and also giving them better direction. He also says as, as Watson has read through the information, he's, he now is able to see more and actually able to be a better, a better judge because he's not missing things. And that was his biggest concern is he can't read a 30, so he has 30 juveniles who, who go through his courtroom every week and there's no way he could read 600 pages per juvenile. And so we start to see that. I know that we have lots of medical, um, other, you know, medical um, examples um, at IBM as we work a lot with, with um, medical, medical professionals. But, you know, that's one way um, that we can start to look at an individual holistically from end to end. Blockchain also, one of the reasons why I love this technology is because it can then, it block, the two most important things about blockchain is it's traceable and it's also transparent. Now, it's for those who are worried about privacy, privacy is beautiful in blockchain. Uh, one of the things that Dr. Kaku has just said this past week is he, he was um, doing a, a big keynote that I was at, and he said that 40% of consumers he believes will require blockchain for privacy moving forward. And what that means is you can lock things down. You can be as transparent as as anyone, but we don't need to know the individual's information or name. All we need to do is to be able to verify things, and that's what blockchain can do for us. Um, I have no idea how we're doing on time. Um, About seven minutes. About seven minutes. Okay. Do you want to maybe take some questions? Sure. That sounds great. And um, on that point about data transparency, actually there is a new center that's opening up here at Columbia University. That's the IBM Columbia University Center for Blockchain and Data Transparency. And so they're really going to be focused on the data transparency part. Um, and there also uh, another situation um, that needs to be addressed is in the artificial intelligence, making sure that you don't have biases, which is difficult because it's like when the, the parents teach the children how to think, the children think that way, right? And so it's similar, you know, when you train an artificial intelligence system. Um, but there are a lot of events going on, and I know that there's a group called iGiant, which is having an event on November 8th in San Francisco. If anybody wants to get involved, I can send you the invitation. And it's looking at gender sex roles and how we make sure that we do what's right in artificial intelligence systems, which I'm really heartened about. Um, so I invited one of my friends who's transgender and a number of other friends, and I said they really could use your insight, um, especially since they sent the first note out and said this applies to both sexes. I said, okay, you already messed up. It's all sexes, and I couldn't believe they sent that. So anyway, but they changed it, which is good. But it just goes to show that if you really want to understand what we need to do for the humans, that you need to understand the humans. And that's part of the whole goal here. So um, you've heard about some of the cool technologies, like, you know, who has a chip implanted in them now? Okay, who has a pet with a chip implanted in them? Oh, your pets are so technologically advanced. 
And so someday that will happen to you, um, and, and then your spouse or partner can follow you around the way you follow your cat or your dog around the neighborhood um, or anywhere else. But also, hopefully, it'll help in these healthcare situations. Um, and then we have these new technologies like 5G. We have very fast networks, which are going to help us share this data. Cognitive computing and artificial intelligence, which can go through this data and spit out the salient points. And another simple example, like what you were talking about, Shauna, um, I do a lot of digital counties events in Wisconsin. They're really into digital counties and smart cities out there. And we were actually talking about emergency medical detentions. So when the cops are called because someone's not acting right and they look and they're thinking, this isn't a violent criminal. We think this is a medical issue. Either they're not on their meds, they got confused, they got on the wrong bus, they don't know how to get home. How do they make the right decision for the human and reduce the amount of incarceration that's not needed? And so we looked at how we could leverage artificial intelligence and blockchain to help with that. You know, how do you get the right information in a private way to the cops that are there? How do you use telehealth or some other type of capability to get, you know, some type of doctor, some type of provider keeping, you know, looking and seeing what's going on? Um, and so we had lawyers in the room from the municipal courts. You know, we had, you know, people that are emergency medical technicians. Great dialogue. And that's when you make this real. You know, you get the real humans in the room. You talk about real use cases, the feet on the street, and how can we make things better? So that's what we were hoping to, to chat with you about today. Um, and Carlo and Shana, you did a great job. Thank you so much for coming to do this. And so we'd like to take questions or answers. We take both. Um, any questions, comments? What does this make you think? Yes? So um, AI is fundamentally an aggregate technology. In other words, it takes lots of inputs. And from those lots of inputs, theoretically you get courses of conduct or outcomes or advice. Don't you have to change the structure of the internet to... Everybody talks about blockchain, about controlling your personal privacy, your personal health information. Don't you have to fundamentally change the structure of the internet? Because the internet today is, is it's worse than the wild, wild west in a certain sense. Whereas there are researchers looking at how do you make the internet, how make your access to the internet private. In other words, like a blockchain, but the entire internet, because you're talking about cloud technologies, you're talking about aggregation of data, aggregation of technologies, but yet, to achieve what you say the objective is, you almost have to depersonalize. You have to personalize it down to the individual level. Mm -hmm. You give the individual control over the data. Did you yeah, go ahead. I know you're okay. Oh, no, that's okay. So, um, you're right. There's a lot of research going on regarding the internet. There are multiple ways to look at how you can do this. So, when I think of blockchain and I, I compare it to the internet, I think of private blockchains and public blockchains. I think of VPNs, you know, virtual private network. That's what you have in your company, your institution that you have to get behind the firewall. You're only allowed in. That's one way that you stay protected is you're behind that. Um, when you're talking about your own privacy, 
see. This is not a good example, but I'll share it. So when you think of ransomware, they never find these people, right? Because it's private. That's not fair. And they're using blockchain and Bitcoin, which really makes me angry. So there actually are ways to protect your own privacy. Um, your institution will try to do that. And you've probably noticed that you have multi-factor authentication now. You try to get in. It sends a text to your phone. You left your phone in the car. Uh, drive me nuts. But it's because they're trying to protect you and make sure it's really you. We talk about intrusion detection. I, I'm, I also work for the NSF uh, Cybersecurity Center of Excellence at Indiana University. We talk about intrusion detection and external threats, right? But the external guys get your credentials, so all of a sudden you're an, they're an internal threat because they're you. Oh, man, are you kidding me? So there are all these things to look at. So we're actually looking at is leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning on some of this type of data, log analysis, intrusion detection, external threats, internal threats, because we're getting to the point that I'm an aerospace engineer by training, and when we created the B-1 bomber, there was so much data coming into the pilot, it was like, ah, you know, they can't ingest it and digest it to make the right move. So we had a lot of fly-by-wire in the B-1 bomber, so it's like we have to make the internet fly-by-wire. You know, we have to create technologies so that you can ingest and digest this information more, and especially because we don't have enough cybersecurity humans here in this country. Um, so we have a lot of work to do on that. But we are doing, it's, it's constant. It's like an everyday battle to make it more private and to make it more secure. And that's why I work for the NSF Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, because I'm committed. Well, and I think one thing I would also mention is only 20% of the data in the world is on the internet. And there's a lot of junk on the internet. 80% of our data is behind our firewalls. And so as we start to look at where the future is going, that 80% is really where there's so much good gold. And um, as we probably will rely less and less on the internet moving forward uh, and more on blockchains and then of course privacy, private um, blockchains and you know data centers being set up. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next five to 10 years. Um, and another statistic just to throw out there is our data in 10 years is going to double every 12 hours. It's all the data in the world. So right now we're at about eight weeks, it's doubling, so. And we're gonna go tweet now and double as much as we can. Any other questions or comments? No? They're well, looking at the snacks outside. Oh, yeah. I think they're really good. I had water. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. We hope you've really enjoyed the conference and join us again. Yes, thank you,